We're in Exodus chapter 1. We'll be going through chapter 2, verse 10. Exodus is a record of Israel becoming a nation, really coming out of Egypt. Passover, or Easter, which we're about to observe, the greatest Jewish holiday being Passover, originated in Exodus. Israel as a nation has become large, large enough down in Egypt for the population to go up and inhabit the promised land. Israel will leave Egypt over two million strong. That's a lot of people. Egypt has been the incubator of our Lord uh, for Israel to grow into a mighty nation. And they have multiplied there greatly. Exodus is the second book of Moses, or the second book of the Pentateuch. And the Sadducees of Jesus' day, they only recognized the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. But in Exodus 19.5, we hear God declare, If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be a special treasure to me above all people. The Jewish people are clearly God's chosen people. The statement by God, it has caused a lot of different people, a lot of people groups, great concern over the centuries. We know the Islamic world hates the Jews. We know in Christian history... The Jews have been called Christ killers and persecuted by Christians. And more recently, in the Holocaust of World War II, we saw the Jews, uh, five million, over five million, being killed by Hitler and his group. But we know God is not through with the Jewish people. He has not cast them aside And there's a lot of prophecy that still remains to be fulfilled concerning the Jewish people. But let's take a look at this group of God-chosen people and see how God will bring them out of Egypt. So Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those were descendants of Jacob, were 70 peoples, for Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up and out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. 
and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptian made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with vigor or rigor. <laughs> then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shephara, and the name of the other was Pua, and he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and you see, on the see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then you shall, uh, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because of the, the midwives feared the God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Quite a chapter. In verses 1 through 8, we simply have the sons of Jacob that are being named by name. Seventy descendants of Jacob, personally named, who came to Egypt as shepherds, but now they are slaves, and the numbers have increased tremendously. Verses 9 through 14, their numbers have increased so dramatically that the Egyptians are afraid of them, and the children of Israel are then forced into slavery, or what is termed rigorous labor. And then in verses 15 through 22, the Hebrew midwives instructed by Pharaoh to kill all of the male babies being born. But here's the good thing. The midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And the midwives refused to kill these boy babies. And Pharaoh learns of this and he requires the midwives. He says, give an account why you haven't killed these children. Why haven't you killed the babies that I ordered you to kill? And why have you saved the male children alive? But God blesses these midwives. He blesses them for their courageous stands against the order of the king. We have the right as children of God to refuse orders of the king when it is against scripture, when it is morally wrong. And you can't pick and choose what you object to, but, you know, we're told not to kill, and these midwives will not kill the babies, and God blesses them for that. Uh, he provided for these midwives safe places for them. That basically means he gave them husbands and wives. He gave them homes of their own. 
And now, Pharaoh, he gives a new death order. Every son born you shall cast into the river, but the daughters shall live. This death order by Pharaoh, who is nothing more than Satan's pawn, it should cause us to realize what Satan's about. He's about killing and destroying. Always has been, always will be. Now, if you were given this command to cast your son into the river, you wouldn't casually read over this. This would have impact upon you. And it's had catastrophic impact upon the children of Israel. The same way that we have in China today. China has the reverse happening in their country. Girls, girl babies are being destroyed because of their one-child policy there. And China, whether they realize it or not, are doing the very work of Satan also by killing babies. Behind this command to kill the male children is Satan trying, and he's trying to destroy the lineage of Christ. If Satan can destroy the male children, then there will be no Messiah. And there will be no redemption of man. And in reality, Satan wins the big battle. He defeats God. But our loving God has a solution to this evil law from the king. In Revelation chapter 1, we read that Jesus, uh, or we hear Jesus declare that he rules over the kings of the earth. I find a lot of comfort in that verse because <laughs> the kings of this earth, they don't ask me how they run things. Maybe they should. <laughs> but they're evil, many of them. And not all the evil rulers are in the other countries. We have them here too. But Satan and his kings, his pawns, they are a defeated foe. And we have the overall lesson of Exodus chapter 1. When the people of God are persecuted, they multiply and flourish. Verse 8, we read, a new king is over Egypt. A new king that did not know Joseph. And when you study history, you realize this new king is an Assyrian. For Assyria has conquered Egypt at, by this time, during that 400-year period. And the Assyrians are known for being ruthless. They put fear into everyone they conquered. They would capture a city, conquer a city, lead their people off to uh, their own place of bondage, and they would put a hook in their jaw with a rope attached, and this is how they would lead away their victims, with a hook in the jaw. You don't fight much against a hook in your jaw. You go willingly. So the lives of these Hebrew slaves, they're of no value to this new king of Egypt. In our modern world where we pretend to value life, yet we kill millions of babies, infants, through abortion. 
So it's a pretense in today's world. But persecution in the early church, uh, it caused the church to spread greatly during the first century A.D. But we have now Satan's desire to kill and destroy Christians. And this desire of Satan to kill and destroy, it supersedes his knowledge of knowing this truth. That when he persecutes the church, she flourishes. But he cannot help being who he is. He is a killer. We are told that he goes about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. And that is who he is. But maybe you have noticed that the persecution of Christian goes on in our world today. Even here in Christian America. Homeland Securities, by the way, have placed evangelical Christians on their terrorist watch list. That's comforting. And we see a variety of ways in which Christians are persecuted. Recently, it was divulged that the IRS targets Christian conservative groups. By not allowing them, you know, the deductions that they need. Military chaplains, many are not allowed to pray in the name of Jesus. TV and movies, they constantly ridicule Christian morals and beliefs. It seems to be their theme. But be advised, as believers, you will be persecuted. When you take a stand for Jesus, you will pay. I believe with everything in me, America is in a post-Christian era. And that will bring about persecution. But the church will flourish. She always does when we're persecuted. I see our civil rights being taken away from us on a constant basis. But don't be alarmed by this. Simply understand that the world hated Jesus, and he told us upright, straight out, for if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So just by aligning yourself with Jesus, you are hated by the world. But let's look at the first ten verses of chapter 2, and we will see God's deliverer being born. Okay, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him and daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid him in the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. We have here a couple from the tribe of Levi. They get married, and they have a male baby, and they hide this little boy. And I love what Scripture says. They hide him because he is beautiful. What mother and father does not think their child is beautiful? Honey, let's keep this one. He's beautiful. No. <laughs> Everybody thinks their child is beautiful. My, my grandkids take their best. But anyway. And for three months they hide Moses and they manage, you know, to avoid the authorities. But Moses' mother, seeing that he will be discovered, obviously, she makes a basket, she makes a little ark out of the bulrushes. She puts her baby in this ark and sends her daughter to watch and see what will become of her child. Pharaoh's daughter discovers the ark along the riverbank, opens it up, and there's Moses. And having compassion on the child, she says to Moses' sister, find me a nurse for Moses. And in the providence of God, Moses' own mother becomes his nanny or his nursemaid. Moses' mother is now not only allowed to raise her son, to, to teach her son about all the Hebrew ways, about his heritage. Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay her to do this. Isn't that a beautiful thing that the Lord does there? It is more than interesting how God saves this little boy from the river and uses Egyptian royalty to do so. But don't miss this. And we can, when we read this story, we can miss that faith is being exhibited here by Moses' mother and father. There is a progression in faith. In Romans we read, um, faith cometh by hearing. Last Sunday evening in our uh, communion service, we talked about listening to God. Hear God. Hear what he has to say to you. And Moses' his parents, by an act of faith, they placed Moses in the river where other children have drowned. But let me get you to turn to Hebrews, and we'll read in Hebrews uh, about Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll look at verses 23 through 29. Hebrews 11, known as the faith chapter. Picking up in verse 23. By faith, Moses, 
when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. That's faith. They're not afraid of the king. They have obviously been praying and now they act in faith. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and with the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. So we have basically the story of Moses, but Moses' parents, they've been in prayer. You know they were in prayer from the time she got pregnant till this child was born. And what should they do with this child? And by faith, they placed Moses in the ark in the river. Logic would say you keep that baby as far away from the river as possible because that's where the babies were being killed. Yet by faith, Moses' mother, she builds this little ark, and God rewards that faith. He rewards the faith of Moses' parents. One of the best descriptions I have, for me, of faith is really simplistic. Hear from God. Make sure it's from God. In other words, you can let God confirm it. And then obey God. That's faith. That's faith to me. That's something I can apply to my life. And as we go through the legacy of Moses, notices, notice the contrasts that come into his life. He's the child of a slave, yet he's the son of a queen. He's born in abject poverty Yet he lived among unlimited riches. He led armies in Egypt, yet he followed the sheep when he was in exile on the backside of the desert. He was a valiant warrior in Egypt, yet God calls him the meekest man on earth. Educated in Egypt, spent 40 years on the backside of the desert and it says he followed the sheep. All the pleasures of Egypt were available to him, but he chose the hardships of a Hebrew slave. They say he had a speech impediment, yet he talked to God face to face. Moses, he forsook the greatness that was his in Egypt and became Israel's greatest leader and prophet. He died alone on Mount Moab, but God buried him. Moses forsook all the privileges and royalty of Egypt to become 
God's servant to Israel. What a lesson for us there. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. It will be an interesting trip through Exodus and looking at Moses. Father God, we thank you for the faith exhibited by Moses' parents. And Lord, they heard from you and they acted in faith accordingly. Lord, I would pray that for us, that we would hear from you for the situations in our lives. Speak to us plainly, Lord, and then give us the strength to obey you. We want to be obedient to you, for you are our Lord and you are our God and you have never failed us. So let us exhibit faith in our life. Be with us, Lord. As the disciples pray, Lord, teach us to pray. And they also said, Lord, increase our faith. We, too, want our faith increased, Lord. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. And we want to please you with our faith, Lord. So help us. Be with us. Thank you that we can pray so boldly, Lord. But, Lord, we're your people. Speak to our hearts, guide and direct us, and we thank you for your goodness to us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.